0: When did you last play? I think last night. Last night I played. What did it look like? Well,
1: I did. I did stand up. Um, I had a stand up comedy show, and um, it was uh, all women stand ups, and uh, in a, a packed club, and it was so much fun. It, to me, that's just play. I know it's not everybody's version of play, but for me, it's play. I feel like it's storytelling. And I'm in an intimate space with people, and I'm telling my stories, and they're laughing, and
0: there's such a beautiful exchange of energy. So that's played to me. I yeah. love how you identified the energy, the the context of who's in the room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, all of that contributes to something being played. I suspect.
1: I think so. I think so. And I I, I love well, first of all, I love the foundation, Mary, of what you talk about on this podcast because I think play is so many things right? right and I think I love that you have this healthy beautiful expansive definition and that's so important because play looks different to different people and there's no one definition and I think it's a beautiful thing it's like going in to like you know Cracker Barrel and going all right what do I want to eat it's a buffet <laughs> and you can figure out what you like and I think there's no one way it's just what makes you feel alive to yourself and connected with others. And I think that to me is
0: what play is. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Kathy Klotz Guest. She is an author, speaker, and consultant on the power of improv and comedy to help leaders stand up and speak up. After her description of doing stand-up last night, I jumped right back into her definition of play. Something that lets you feel alive to yourself and connected with others. I've also heard you describe improv as being human. Yes. So why do you think there's such uh tension at times with people saying, Oh, like we gotta be serious at work. We can't oh. do that at play. Woo!
1: Okay. That isn't a great question because I think that is a million-dollar question. I think. Business got this rap over many, many years of, we're serious. We do business here. This is the place for business. So we're serious. And this is our serious voice. And like, shut up. No play happens here. Now get back to work. And somewhere along the line, we told people, we convinced everybody, everyone, that play was frivolous, that levity was a waste of time that anything that was human didn't, because it couldn't be quantified, didn't have a business kind of charter. Didn't, it didn't belong in business. And that is the greatest lie ever told. Well, there's a bunch of greatest lies ever told, but there's one of them. I think it's one of the, the biggest lies. And it, we've been conditioned. And I think we have a lot of unconditioning to do. And I think every human being knows in their soul, it's not true. Yeah. And it's that Awful, awful, you know, Mary, you know, this so well, it's like the lack of psychological safety in our companies where people go, I know in my heart that that can't be right because the human soul is wired for joy. So why can it, why is it wrong here? And I think that's the questioning we're having today. We're looking at leadership and going, that narrative is garbage. Your leadership sucks. It's not me. It's
0: not me leaders. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many questions for you that are coming out of that. But let's start with, you have been a leader as well. What did playfulness create in your own leadership style?
1: It's interesting because I don't think leading was ever easy for me. You know what men love? They love a smart, funny woman leader. No, they (laughs) (laughs) don't. All shit, y'all. Um, I am lying. Um, I was in high tech for many years. And like, I know what I look like. I know what I sound like. And no, I wasn't supposed to be the person in the company that had the greatest amount of joy and levity. I, I just people looked at me and they're like, you know, I look a certain way. I'm not supposed to be that. And I was. And I think what I realized was that no one was going to do it for me and I was going to have to ratify myself and I was going to have to choose myself. And that meant choosing my joy. Yeah. And for me, playfulness was like, look, I'm imperfect. This is an imperfect situation. There's no such thing. You know, perfect is like certain shades of blonde. It doesn't exist in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So I started just making the choice to show up differently.
0: Yeah. And I
1: felt like I had nothing to lose. I was already a woman in tech. I was already not treated equally at the table. Mm. I was already not treated, so it yeah. gave me nothing to lose. Yeah, and it changed how I showed up. And I think what happened over time was, you know, not everybody liked it. That's okay. There's a word for those people. I call them family, but there, there, <laughs> but enough people liked it. <laughs> enough people did, and enough people went. I like the way you show up. And I just made had to make a decision in face of in the face of a lot of that um, to to choose that for me. And it wasn't always easy. I don't want to sugarcoat it as, you know, la 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 la. It was easy. It wasn't. Um, but what I found is that I was happier and I showed up
0: better and healthier and happier for me and for other people. I appreciate what I'm hearing. in that is your leadership was being authentic to who you were and who you were was showing up with joy and, and identifying you weren't going to sacrifice that.
1: Yeah. No, it wasn't going to happen there. I mean, there were so few women in, in, as I got up the food chain and got promoted, there was so like, it was like oxygen, the, the higher you go, the less the oxygen it was like, yeah. ain't no women around here. Um, and it was so hard and I really had to choose joy because it was really, really tough. And I feel like I was, you know, in a, in a cauldron, I was boiling in this cauldron and I thought the, the, the worst thing that could happen is I lose my own joy in the midst of all this hard stuff. And it was just a a really conscious decision. And I won't say it was easy. It was not. Um, But I think there are some things we can control. And I really do believe that controlling how you show up is, is the most important
0: choice you can make. You've mentioned a couple of times how you were the only woman in these spaces. A lot of times. So can you share more about how it is to show up with play when you are the only one of your identity in the room?
1: Oh man, that's such a beautiful and big question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, I was pulled aside many times. I'm just, you know, I think it's really important to be honest. Um I was pulled aside many times. It didn't matter that I have graduate degrees, it didn't matter that I was capable it didn't matter that I was smart. I was pulled aside many times and told by both men and women, stop being so funny. No one will take you seriously. And I say yeah. that because the pe- the listeners here might really identify with that truth. Yes, I was told that. And I was told that many, many times. Yeah. I was told what to wear, that I shouldn't wear skirts, that I should put my, I have long hair. I, I should put it up. Um, I should look more austere. I yeah. should not be funny. I should not. I was told this repeatedly. And I remember trying that out just to get along. And I, it just was like taking a piece of my soul and, and just, you know, suppressing it. And I just, it, it was, it's a painful yeah. way to live. And I, I finally just said, I, c- I can't do that. Come what may. Um, so I, th- I think it was not really supported. It wasn't easy. I think the, d- the dynamic was, is that when you look a certain way, people will treat you a certain way. Mm -hmm. But I was shamed out of owning all of that. I was shamed as Mm. a young woman in tech. Yes. And I think for me, it was to get to that lowest point, which is a bathroom floor breakdown. You
0: you ever had, you ever cried on the bathroom floor at a tech company? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not at a tech company, but I have cried in the bathroom. <laughs> it's
1: a sacred space. It's like the only space on the planet where women aren't judged, right? You just go in there, and women are looking at each other. We're all like wiping away our mascara, and we're like, "I see you, girl. I got you, girl. I got you, girl." And I think for me, it was just a moment of like, "Well, no one's going to do this for me. It's either going to really suck, and I'm going to continue to live that way, or I'm going to just say." This is wrong on every level, and I've got to claim who I am for myself. And I finally made the decision, after a lot of self-alienation, to really reclaim who I was. So I don't want to sugarcoat it. It was a hard journey, but I think when you have had that bathroom floor breakdown moment and you realize that you can't continue being what others want you to be because you'll never find joy, it changed for me. I just went, okay, F it, because either you're going to like it or you're not, and I, I can't do this anymore. And that was a big turning point for me. And I I think I saw women, I saw women being told how to shape themselves to fit in, you know, contort themselves. So women became master contortionists as we have to be sometimes. And um, I think men got that narrative too. And however, the way it sort of manifested for women, because there were so few women that I think women got that tax, they got that extra tax. Yeah. Um, and, and But I think all of us got that narrative at some point that humor is frivolous and, and play is frivolous and we don't do that here, which is so dangerous and so wrong. And I think at some point I rebelled against it because that's not my nature. But B, the more you tell me not to do something, the more I'm like, oh, no,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that plot is going to boil over. And at some point it's like, no.
0: You talk about the story of play and how yeah. leaders can nurture a better story. Uh, tell, tell us more about the story of play.
1: I think the story of play really goes it, it sort of, you know, as we as we said earlier, I think it gets this really bad rap. And I think what I've seen is that in organizations that celebrate play, people take more risks. Mm. They're more innovative. Mm. They feel more safe. And play can't be faked, right? It, it, it cannot be faked. Um, yeah. Either you care about people or you don't. And I, I think the beauty about play and playful leaders is you are a walking, authentic beacon for your employees. And if you show up that way, that's the biggest model of all. So I, I really think the story wow. of play is, I think the most amazing organizations who are changing the world from Patagonia to, you know, um, I've met some cosmetic companies where women are like, let's just play, let's have fun with the fact that women yeah. over 45 are invisible in, in advertising <laughs> and let's just have some fun, right? I mean, come on, come yeah. on. You could pick me out of a lineup. I could commit crimes upon crimes. And and men would be like, I want to say she was blonde. <laughs> I want to say she wore Lulu lemons. I don't know. Did she have a face? And I think the more you lean into those truths, I think it opens up such a world of possibilities for how you connect and communicate and innovate mm-hmm. and play is a gift. Play The playful organization innovates. And I think that story really comes top down. I think you look at the leaders where that innovation is like so great and they celebrate it, um, you know, Intuit used to have this really amazing thing where they would have these failure parties into it. Mm-hmm. And they would basically, every time something failed, they would get together in the company and they'd say, you know what? We're not celebrating the failure. We're celebrating the learning. So what did right. we learn? What did we learn? And they, instead of shaming people, they came together and had cake and ice cream and a party to go, what did we learn? And I yeah. thought, what a beautiful gift to the employees, the
0: social proof, Right yeah yeah well, do and that? and to have those be the rituals of of saying like okay so i found one way that doesn't work <laughs> like, there we go put it aside now i can focus on something
1: else right exactly it totally and if the leaders if the leaders can't play it, and when leaders here's the thing when leaders are telling their people to play but the leaders can't play Every person in the company's like, "Uh-uh, you first. Walk yeah. the plank.
0: You, no, you nope." Yeah. And they're they're looking at that, right? They're noticing. Yeah. Well, and it's similar. I I knew somebody once who I had such a wonderful heart in leadership wow. and wanted his employees to, you know, take their time off and to be able to be, you know, yeah. present in other things. His passion was so strong, he never took a day off. Right. In 20 years, he had never taken a day off. And he was also proud of that. And when I talked to his employees, there was a disconnect because wow. while he said, I support you taking time off, um, he never did it himself. And so the employees were afraid to take a day off. Yeah. And so I was thinking of that story in relation to what you were saying, right? What, what our actions speak volumes. Yeah. Right?
1: everything if we saw playful leaders normalize it i think that would be the social proof that everybody in the company needs to go ah i can do that yeah. and i don't think leaders think about that and they need to i think they need to think about normalizing play but that so much of that is social proof and it's not enough to say yeah. we value play that's just you know enron used to have a plaque in their company enron we value customers <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, what a joke. I mean, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. Yeah. And so it's, talk is cheap. And I think what leaders need to really do is understand the modeling that they do. And if you can laugh at yourself that, and you know, I think we're seeing leaders right now, Mary, that can, mm-hmm. that have such thin skinned, mm-hmm. very thin skinned. They can't take criticism. They yeah. can't take any kind of play they can't take. And that sends the exact opposite message to, to employees. Nobody, yeah. if you're not a leader who, who can laugh at yourself, you're not a leader that anybody
0: wants to follow. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a lot of talk about the importance of vulnerability and leadership. And to me, like play is one of those ways that you are a little bit vulnerable, but, but you're creating when you're creating that space together to play. Mm-hmm. um it, mm-hmm. it maybe is a, a different way to think about vulnerability than um, like the revealing your whole heart and every point of like possible grief that you've ever had, which could also be intimidating.
1: It is. And it's like trauma porn. We don't yeah. need it, you know? It, and and the thing is you're, that's such a great point. And I so agree with you. I think, I think we get vulnerability wrong. It's not about you necessarily opening up and, and giving every life story, it, it isn't. And play is very vulnerable. And the research is very clear that play brings up trauma for people. It does, mm. which means, so when you say, okay, everybody play and you make it mandatory, for example, that's why company sponsored play stuff always fails because you, for some people, and we have to remember that growing up, either they were told, They played wrong or they weren't good enough or they were picked last for a team. And part of what play does is exposes people's deep vulnerabilities, which means if you want people to play, you've got to build the safety net. You've got to make it optional. You've got to make it safe. You've got to make it fun. And it cannot be mandatory. You know, people should be able to opt out. So when you put those safeguards into an organization, you ensure organic play. There's so much fear. There's so much fear. I talk to companies all the time. I know you do as well, and I think the amount of fear that people feel is very real. And the biggest fear people have is judgment. I will I will be judged by my peers, by my boss, and they won't forget and it'll be held over my head, and even though it, you know they say they won't, the trust is so low. And I think the single biggest thing that's hurting companies today is a lack of trust. There is a deep lack of trust. Mm and it's palpable and play only gets us so
0: far if we don't make it safe and really live it really yeah. live it yeah so. so so you've talked about the the importance of the leaders being playful themselves showing that mm-hmm. um you've talked about making it optional um mm-hmm. so people opt in creating that space um what are some other things that are important to prepare for a space of play or for playfulness to be successful?
1: I think in our teams, we need to let teams have some autonomy. People won't do it if they don't, if they feel judged. So I think in our teams, we need to establish space and um, our values and make it safe at any point for people to do it, as long as they know the guardrails, you know, lifting people, not punching what we say, punching down in comedy. Um, And I think, it really has to happen not just at a at a company value statement level it has to happen in our teams so we need yeah. we need team leadership um we need people to bring um that kind non-judging self to work but it only it only works as far as um you know hr and our teams and our mission statement are willing to provide social proof. Honestly, Mary, the single biggest thing holding people back is a lack of social proof.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, we say, I see this a lot, you know, um, all right. It's now popular to say psychological safety. So, all right, we're psychologically safe, everybody.
0: <laughs> if only we could just say, okay, this is a psychologically safe space. And it was. it was, it's like, you know, it's
1: like calling dibs or like, you know, writing shotgun, you're like called it. No, no, it doesn't work. that way. <laughs> right. And I think what, people are unprepared for. Leaders is doing the work. There's no social proof. So the single greatest thing that we can do is leaders model it and then share those instances throughout the company so that everybody knows this is what, show me, here's how people played in in this division or in this team. Here's the results. And here's how we can all learn from that. And I think they want, they're hungry for social proof. And that's where companies I think need to do better
0: to to share those kinds of learnings
1: throughout the company. Yeah,
0: well, and it strikes me that it comes back to some of what you talked about of authenticity mm-hmm. and how we show up, right? That mm-hmm. that there needs to be that consistency, which resonates for me as a leader, like with my team. Right? There were there were some people who only needed to see it once or twice, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I got it. This is this this is a team that can play together and build in positive ways." And there are other people who needed to see it over six months. They needed to see joy in the in the In the lunchroom, they needed to see um, the way that I would respond to a failure or a success or like, who knows what that was, right? Um, They needed to see it. They needed to see how other people responded. They needed to see were they really not judged when another person made this. They needed to see that day in, day out for months or even a year before they themselves would be like, oh, okay, I get it. I can show up with some playfulness.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's different, but I think we just try to shortcut social proof and go right to the, here's the, here's the values, but it doesn't work that way. Values are yeah. lived. And yeah. they're looking at that. And it's so true. It's like you and I both know as leaders, it's like not how you handle the successes of a company, but really the question that, that, that we all should be asking is how do leaders handle, handle failures? Yeah. Because that t- says more about who we really are and what we value when people have screwed up. Okay. Then you know, you say, you say one thing, but then when people take a risk and it doesn't work out a playful risk, you know, they're judged. And so I, th- I think, um, the biggest thing is leadership is so woefully, um, and I, I'm just going to be honest, woefully, um, inept at owning where they failed yeah, and owning it. I think leadership thinks they're great. They give themselves A's and you talk to employees and it's like a C, maybe a D, <laughs> <laughs> And that gap, that reality gap, I think leaders uh, have to own that. And that's hard. It's yeah. hard to hear. But leaders, do you really have a lot of work to do to earn employee trust. And playfulness is vulnerability, but it's
0: also humility. And there's a huge opportunity there. I, I haven't heard somebody previously connect play and humility. Yeah. But I think that's so important because... Yep. You do need to have that uh, space of humility in order to say, oh, like I, I can remove some of the risks for it, for that. Or I can res- remove some of the, like the sense of a high stakes and yeah. say, let me just play with something a little bit. Let me play with even my own identity or with how I'm being perceived. Let me laugh at myself, uh, not take myself so seriously. And humility is such an important part of yes. keeping huma- humanity in our workplaces,
1: it is absolutely core. The most fundamental leaders who've changed the world, I believe, had that humility. I also think too, and I, and I and I see it loud and clear. And I think the other big thing, Mary, is that you know, when you allow yourself to play, you say to the world, "I'll make mistakes, but that's okay. I'm human. I'm going to forgive myself." And that humility, that compassion, that self compassion, then translates to other people. I think the most compassionate people on the planet are compassionate towards themselves Mm -hmm. and i just think play is a is a a state of humility where you're not going to beat yourself up for your mistakes and there's something contagious about that so to me yeah i think i think there is a humility play link and i i've I've believed that all my life and the most humble people i know are playful
0: yeah Yeah. beautiful One of the things that I'm noticing, even in this conversation, right, you are, you are brilliant, you are thoughtful, you are articulate, you are also an improv artist, right? Mm-hmm. But this conversation has not all just been like jokes and improv. Yeah. And you did an improv show last night, right? It so was a, a stand up show, actually. Santa, which is a little different from, you know, improv. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for that correction. Um, So part of what I would love to hear you articulate is what role having that comedy outlet does for you when you are going to show up as a leader and have the serious conversations? Because it doesn't mean that you are always joking not at all so not so all. how what is that for you how is how does the yeah. having that creative outlet that playful outlet influence you Ooh.
1: gosh it's everything here's here's the thing about it is that um I really believe that stand-up and improv both of which I do um help people own their voice mm. I think it is, is a, it's a channel it's a conduit to your truest self yeah. because the jokes that I'm telling on stage if I'm doing stand-up are about my life mm. and there's a there's a connection I have with the audience because it's truth everything I say in standup is truth oh. but it's heightened and then on in 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 improv as you know it's like I'm making my partners look good yeah I am all about how do we do this together I can't create something magical without other people yeah and I think yeah. what comedy does is Comedy strengthens our muscles, our confidence muscles, our risk muscles, and our, I think, our ability to be vulnerable, to play, to say the big things. Mm. Improv makes us appreciate that it's a team effort. I think the yeah. best leaders I know understand improv because every team is an improv team. Yeah, Every team, you may not even call your team an improv group, but they are.
0: If they're doing their job well, right? You're making each other look good. You're building That's on each it. other. Yeah.
1: You're, you're heightening each other's ideas. You're yes anding, you know, you're celebrating failure. You're doing all the things that great improv teams do. And it strengthens that. And, and what I've seen with a lot of leaders that I work with um, in, in improv and standup is that standup strengthens their voice. There's something about leaders being truthful to who they are owning their humor because it comes from their truth yes and if you want a stronger voice if you want a braver voice that's true to who you are i think there is nothing more powerful than than exercising some stand-up muscles because it's not just about being funny that's a benefit the real vulnerability mary is that when i stand up there and i tell you you know about my life yeah. and how hard yeah. it's been, and what it was like to be a woman in tech for 15 years. And when I say these things, people are laughing, but they're, the truth, the underlying powerfulness, is I'm I'm telling you what my life was like. Yeah. So I yeah. think comedy is an expression of our highest truth and the better part of who we are. Mm. So I believe in comedy training and bringing all that into how we show up because I've never seen a leader go through stand up or improv training who then didn't go, wow, I'm changed by that. Yeah. I'm changed by that. And then they bring that in. And again, you may not think about it, but I encourage everyone to, you know, who listens to this to go, Oh my gosh, my, my team is an improv group. Yes. And you may not call it that, but they are. And so your job is to create the conditions for
0: them to look good and succeed. Mm, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. How do people connect with you if they want to follow up or learn more about what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. There's a couple of ways you can do that. You can always um, link in with me at Kathy Clote's guest, all one word. You can go to keeping it, Keep it Keeping it human is, um, is, my, uh, is my website. And of course I have a couple of books out on Amazon. And one of them is all about using activities to create better storytelling and products and all that stuff. And it's really more fundamental than that. While you're doing that, you are strengthening your leadership and connection muscles with other people. Hmm. Beautiful.
0: And it's fun. And it's it's just a lot of fun. So, <laughs> what <do you> <laughs> so, so speaking of which, is there an activity of playfulness that you would leave our listeners with today that they could do at work? Yeah.
1: Um God, I love everything improv. I so do. Um, if I could choose probably one one activity. I would say probably I'm going to go old school and I'm going to say, can I pick two? Can I pick two? Okay. So what I'm going to call is just the regular yes and. I want you to yes and each other and then heighten. I want you to go through brainstorming, but you're not allowed to, to yes, but you can only yes and and just heighten each other's ideas. Take it to crazy town. Take it to crazy town and then see what ideas you have. Yeah. Um, and then I'm gonna say the other thing I really love is this game called Monkey Ranch. Oh. And Monkey Ranch is, you know, I'm telling a story, and then Mary, you throw in a bunch of ideas, words every now and again as I'm telling a story. You know, you're throwing in banana, monkey, a car. And I have to continue my story, but integrate everything you're throwing in. <laughs> because I really think, you know, improv is about really just meeting every all the changes however they're thrown at us. Yeah. And it's such an, a, um, I think, an exercise of adaptable, of adaptability. Actually. Yeah. And, and I
0: think it's monkey wrench is one of my favorites. And, but yes, and it's tried and true. It's tried and true. <laughs> well, and I love the addition of monkey wrench in there because that yeah. is part of what it means to keep it human. I would suspect is that yeah. we, we, in living in this world, we are going to have things thrown at us. And how do we adapt perhaps with a laugh and some humor and how do we, you know, how do we see that?
1: Right. And exactly that. And you said it so well. You don't have to be perfect. And that's the whole point. Yeah. Like, let's learn to laugh at each other. We can take what we do seriously, but we don't have to take ourselves so damn seriously all the time. That's not human. And we're not meant to do
0: that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and there's a fun listening with it, too, because for me to throw in a monkey wrench, I need to listen to what you're saying and know that something could be thrown in there. Right. So, that attention to each other, we sometimes miss that in work, too.
1: It is, it's, and it's a great exercise because you have to stay t- in focus on what you're doing and also make space to hear other people. So there's a lot of layers of listening and I think it's a really fun game. And um, the more you do it, the more you get better at it, but that's life. You <laughs> might be building something. You might be building a platform on say a certain social media platform and then a new owner comes in and changes everything. <laughs> I'm just saying as an example. <laughs>
0: Oh, Kathy, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed and learned from this conversation with you.
1: You know what? What a
0: pleasure. I love
1: everything you've done and I've enjoyed so many of your episodes. So keep doing it, Mary. This is fantastic. Thank you,
0: thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zadie and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled, Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.